All right, so I just decided uh, I need Nancy and Jeff and Hannah to follow me around everywhere and just harmonize like that because it would make my life so much better. Like anything I say, and they're just in the background going, Ooh. oh, man, that'd go to my head real quick. Uh, good morning, everybody. Like I said again, um, I'm very excited, as always. I say that all the time, but it's because I'm always excited. You should see me, like, in my house, there's a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, off-key, um, a lot of fun, because I am very excitable. But it's Christmas time, and Christmas is uh, my second favorite time of year, my first being Easter. Uh, but Christmas leads us to Easter. And so I love it for a couple of reasons. One, uh, everybody's generally in a good mood. Like, generally, not all the time, but generally, people are in a pretty good mood around Christmas. Uh, two, the lights are really nice. Uh, but also just the, everybody's just a little bit nicer, you know? Uh, not at Walmart. Um, <laughs> maybe like AutoZone. Uh, but people are generally just a little nicer, a little bit happier, a little bit friendlier. And um, I think that's fantastic, because uh, we could use more of that in life. Uh, so this morning, we are kicking off our three-week Christmas series called So This Is Christmas, uh, hence the, the song that, that Brad wonderfully led us through. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. This week, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 uh, through 20. Uh, again, a big chunk of scripture, but it's good. So let's go ahead and read uh, again from starting in chapter 8, or verse 8, rather. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. Um, I had to read through that a bunch of times this week so I wouldn't cry, but, because it's, it's one of those sections of Scripture that just gets me. And then, of course, I always hear Linus reading it in my head, and I'm telling you, like, I see that little peanut reading that, and I cry every time. Um, it's just, ah, there's so much there. Um, so, so this is Christmas. So this is Christmas. Language is a funny thing. My father-in-law used to say, when you wake up in the morning, you can go, good Lord, it's morning. Or you can say, good morning, Lord, right? It's about how you say it. It's almost the same words, but how you say it's going to carry different meanings. And the same goes with Christmas. We can say, so this is Christmas. Yeah. Or we can say, so this is Christmas. How we say something really is tied to our understanding of what that thing is. 
how we talk about something is, is we're expressing what we believe and think about the thing that we're talking about. And so this morning, we're going to go through, uh, we're going to kind of launch uh, from this uh, section of Scripture, and we're going to look at a couple of things. Particularly, we're going to look around the ideas of waiting and good news. So when you think about the best news that you've ever heard, like, I mean, the best news, we can think of all sorts of things, um, a, a wedding, uh, an all clear from the doctor, uh, a win from your favorite sports team, maybe the end of basketball season for a few weeks. Like it can be all sorts of things that are good news, but for it to be good news, there, there has to be a connection, right? For, for good news to be good news to you, there has to be either a connection to what the news is or who it involves. Otherwise it's just news. So if you're walking down the street and some random person comes up to you and says, I'm getting married, and they're all excited, and then they run away. To them, it's good news. To you, well, that's just news. You have no connection to it. Good news has to have some sort of connection to it. Um, so for the shepherds, this was good news. Uh, I like the way it's, I think it says it in the King James or the, the, uh, the New King James. It talks about good news and glad tidings. Like, good news, glad tidings. It was good news to them. And that's partially because shepherds were not uh, very high up in the social structure, right? So this was good news to them because they were shepherds. They understood their role in society. You didn't graduate the top of your class and then go get a job as a shepherd. You didn't go get your degree in animal husbandry and start a well-respected business as a shepherd. You worked in the field, you were smelly, you were dirty, a lot of people thought at the time shepherds were thieves, pretty dishonest people. Uh, they didn't really trust them. But this is who the announcement comes to. The announcement that the Messiah, like Brad was talking about, has finally come, is coming to lowly shepherds watching, field, watching, uh, their, shep, uh, watching their sheep at night. This is who the announcement comes to. And it is great news. And it's great news too, and it starts to key us in on something that God's doing, that, that from his incarnation, from his birth, Jesus is changing the social structure of the world. Luke chapter 1 verse 52 says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He was changing everything. All of a sudden, the, the, the news that, 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 that the Messiah had come, that divinity was wrapping himself in humanity, that the Messiah was coming to dwell with us, came not to the wise, not to the powerful, not to the elite, but to lowly shepherds. Why? Because the shepherds were the exact type of people that this good news was actually going to mean the most to. Again, there was a connection between the news and, who it, and what it involved. And it was good news, too, because they weren't just shepherds. They were Jewish shepherds who had been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come. People have been waiting for the Messiah to come and just waiting. And like, I mean, waiting for so long. This is promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the Messiah would come and crush the head of the enemy. And so for, for generation upon generation, Jewish women, when they get pregnant, they would wonder, is this the one? Do I carry the Savior? Does the one who will come from me, is, is this the one who will bring about our salvation? Is this the one who's going to fix the problem that our first parents made? They were waiting. They knew the promises. Uh, J. Barton Payne says there's something like 574 Old Testament verses that talk about the coming Savior and Messiah. 
Alfred Ertram says there's 456, and we know that Jesus uh, fulfilled about 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. People had been waiting and waiting and waiting. I remember when Julie was going through a health scare a couple years ago, I think we were in Tennessee at the time, and uh, she had some tests run, and they didn't like what they saw. So they ran some more tests and did a biopsy on some things, and then we were just waiting, just waiting. There's nothing else you can do. There's, there's no more tests to run. There's no more doctor's appointments to make. You're just waiting. But you're not just waiting. You're waiting for good news, glad tidings. If you've ever had applied for a job or a loan or a college or uh, men, that, that those, oh, those 30 seconds that it might take when you get down on that knee and ask her if she'll marry you and you're just waiting. Those 30 seconds feel like an eternity. You're waiting, and you're waiting for good news, glad tidings. But waiting is hard, because when we're waiting, we can either wait impatiently or patiently. In our waiting, we can choose to stop waiting for what was promised and start to do our own thing. Or, as Charles Spurgeon said, we can learn to kiss the waves that throw us upon the rock of ages. How we wait is important. It's not just the waiting, but, but how we wait. We can sit around and, and grumble and complain and moan and, and just have all sorts of issues with the waiting. Or we can wait. I was talking to my friend uh, Jana this week, and we can wait actively. We can actively wait. And active waiting is, is kind of like what uh, Anna did um, in, in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 36 to 38. I don't have a slide for this because I added it this morning. Um, there was also a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God day and night and fasting and praying. At that very moment, this is when they, they brought uh, the, the infant Jesus up, she came and began to thank God and speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was married for seven years and then widowed, and she had a choice. She knew the promises. She knew what was coming. She knew the Messiah was promised, and so she chose to actively wait. She prayed and fasted for the nation of Israel. She chose to be active in her waiting and trust that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, and he rewarded her by her being able to see the Messiah. It was active waiting. We have to choose how we're going to wait. Long people had waited. Patiently sometimes and impatiently others. And some in their waiting set up other systems to follow. I was telling Billy this morning, I'm reading through First Kings, and it's, it's so sad. Because the people didn't wait like they should have. It's just one story after another about this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this king did more evil than his father did. And then this king did more evil than his father did. And people weren't waiting patiently, but some were. But the problem was, is, is they were waiting for the Messiah. And in our waiting, it can be difficult. In our waiting, we can make stupid decisions. In our waiting, we can do things that we regret because we're tired of waiting. The, the nation of Israel was waiting for the Messiah. And in their waiting, sometimes false messiahs arose. This happened before Jesus, and this also even happened after Jesus. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 36 says, Some time ago Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were, came to nothing. 
The next verse, verse 37 says, After this man, Judas the Galilean rose, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and his followers were scattered. Acts 21.38 talks about an Egyptian who, who brought people up and, and raised them up and they all left into the wilderness. This is, this is even after the Messiah has come. And part of that is we're going to get into in just a moment. But they were just waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the expectation that they had. What were their expectations? It's tough to nail down exactly because in that day and even now, it's just like in our modern day, we have factions and sects that believe slightly different things, but we can build a picture of what the Jewish people were waiting for, what Israel was waiting for. They were waiting for a savior, a yesha, to be liberated, to be saved, uh, to be delivered in battle, to be victorious. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4 says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes to fight for you against your enemy and give you victory. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 and 3 says, He said, The Lord is my rock, my, fortu- my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. The people were waiting for one who would come and save them from battle. They understood battle. They understood war. They understood that at any moment their neighbors could attack them. We don't fully understand that. Like we, we, we can understand needing to be saved, but the way they understood it is a little bit different from our context. They'd known people who had died. They'd known people who had gone off to fight uh, this enemy or that enemy, and, and they died. So they wanted a savior. They were expecting a savior who would save them in battle. But they were also expecting a Messiah, an anointed one. Messiah Christ just means anointed. And this, we got to turn to something a little more technical. The New Unger's Bible Dictionary says, the all-absorbing ideas were those of kingship and deliverance. And these were chiefly of national significance. The restoration of national glory was the great hope of Israel, and all else was subordinate to that. The people were expecting an anointed ruler who would bring them to their former glory. They were thinking back to the days, even though they hadn't seen it, of King David or or Solomon before he fell. They were thinking of national glory. And why not? I mean, if we think about it, when we're reading the Bible, especially in the New Testament, what we're seeing is that, yes, the, the Jewish people lived in Israel under Roman occupation. The Romans controlled everything. And a couple of hundred, or uh, yeah, a couple hundred years before that, not too long, but uh, the, the Maccabean revolt happened, which is where we get Hanukkah from, with the miracle of the oil, and that the people were under the the um, Seleucids. Uh, I got to do that apparently in order to find where something is in my brain. I need a map. Um, the Seleucids were like they were worse than the Romans. They really put the pressure on the Jewish people. They sacrificed a pig in the temple. They set themselves up. They wouldn't allow the Jewish people to to practice Judaism. They stopped allowing circumcision, which Brad will talk about soon. Um, <laughs> I tried to talk Julie into it. She said no. Um, they, they did all these things. So the people revolted and they had a little bit of freedom and they thought maybe this is the time. This is the ruler. This is it. We're going to have national glory again. We will be safe as a people. And then they were also expecting some to be one who would be like Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. There is this expectation that the Savior, the one who will, who will protect them, 
will have protection, will vindicate them, will save them in battle, will rule over them rightly and have a special communion with God. Because Israel was not just a nation, they were a theocracy. They were supposed to be a people whose religious laws and civil laws had no difference. And in a way, this is what the Messiah did. Just not exactly as expected, but that's why this is good news. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus in his first uh, temple He's leading, right? This is, they're, they're saying, this is where we're at in the scroll. And it just so happens that exegetically, this is where they're at. They give him the scroll. He reads this. And as he's reading this, I can, I can only imagine the, the eyes that are on Jesus as he's reading this. Because this is who he is. When the Bible talks about he came at the right time, this is one of those even little moments of right time. That it, everything had to be so perfect that Jesus, on that day, would sit in that temple while they were reading that scroll, and he would read that. That this is the one, as he's reading it, he knows, this is who I am. And so again, he sits. Because Jesus sits. So often we see that Jesus is sitting in the Bible because he's not stressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, Jesus is reading this. These are the words of Isaiah. This is the prophecy from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I imagine as he's reading these words, that he's reading them with a certain amount of authority that we can't even imagine. And the people are not deaf to this. It says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. I apologize, then he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were fixed on him. Jesus just finished reading these words, and then he sits down, and everybody's like, what is going on? Lucy says to Shane, The New Testament talks about how Jesus spoke with authority. I imagine he leaves a little bit of a dramatic pause there for everybody, and then he says, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And the crowd erupts with stones. <laughs> They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for thousands of generations, years. Again, women have been pregnant wondering if this is the one. They've been in captivity. They've been out of captivity. They've had some success. They've had no success. They've had some rule. They've had no rule. They've had ups. They've had downs. They've had judges. They've had conquerors. They, they've had everybody imaginable except the Messiah. And they're expecting a conquering king who comes in and just crushes Rome. And instead, the one that they've been expecting for thousands of years says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, because he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah comes and he says, all those that you won't even let in here, I've come for them. 
Those are the ones I've come for. I've come for the oppressed, the ones who go to bed every night hungry. I've come for for the captives, the ones who are bound in spiritual chains and just can't seem to break the attacks of the enemy who relentlessly comes after them. The blind, who are both physically blind, but also those who are blind and can't see the truth when I put it right in front of their face for thousands of years and they still don't see it. I have come for them. And that's why this is good news. This is good news because everybody gets in. Everybody is allowed access. Because he did come as savior to be liberated, to be saved, to be delivered in battle, to be victorious. He did come as that one. And he did set us free in battle. Our battle against our flesh. Our battle against sin. Not our battle against other people. So often we make other people the focus of our fight. When Paul clearly tells us in the New Testament, that's not who we're fighting. It is a spiritual battle. And Jesus says, I have given you victory. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have the victory if you are a follower of Christ. And if not, then change allegiances. Like if you want victory, change teams. We're loyal to our sports teams, but we can change our allegiances here on earth of which master we choose to serve. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that next week. But change your allegiance. He has come to bring victory because he did his job as the savior. It's done. He did it. I was talking to April Pierce this week, and we were talking about something and just how I just, I've got like the spiritual warfare going on. And at first it doesn't feel like spiritual warfare because it's just, you know, the enemy reminds you of things and he drags up your past and puts it on a table before you and he goes, oh, look at all these wonderful things you've done. These are all the reasons you suck. (laughs) And you look at the table and you go, yes, yes, I do. And you just kind of banter back and forth with that for a little bit. It's no big deal. And then the next thing you know, he's got you dragged down some alley and you're going, I'm worthless, I'm horrible, I'm nothing. But then we have to remind ourselves, no, the victory is won because thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his victory. He did his job. He also came as the Messiah, the anointed one. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says, Jesus came near to them and said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. He says this because he has all authority. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the one who can make the commands. Everybody will bow down to Jesus at some point. We get to choose to do it sooner rather than later. 
Jesus came and he broke the stronghold of sin and death. He came and he ushered in a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And we live in this in-between stage where we're still inviting people in and saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Stop what you're doing and come do this. And in a way, that's how we're like the shepherds because the good news has come to us. The lowly, the worthless, the shame-filled, the sinners, the broken, the captives, the blind, the heartbroken, the ones who needed freedom. It has come to us. This good news, these glad tidings. And we get to decide what our response will be. Will we be like the shepherds who go and see this wonderful thing and then report back to everyone all that they had seen and heard? And it was just as the Lord had told them. We're singing Waymaker this morning and uh, then also this morning before church, I was I've doing reading and just kind of praying through the morning. And uh, just, I kept coming back to, I think it's um, Matthew chapter, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Oops, I must have closed that. It's going to take me just a second, sorry. Um, discuss amongst yourselves, I guess. Um, Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came, came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. He's done his job. The victory is there. The, 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 the power to overcome sin is there. The, the, the wisdom to make the right decisions is there. We just have to decide, are we going to be like the shepherds and go see this thing and then report back? Because if we do, we get to join in the chorus of heaven. Joy to the earth, a Savior reigns. The Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations glad. It makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. The wait is over. And the beautiful thing is, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you've been waiting patiently or impatiently. It doesn't matter if you waited the right way or if you waited the wrong way. It doesn't matter all the things that you did up until this moment. The wait is over. The Savior has come. The Messiah has come. The Anointed One has come. The Prophet has come who communes with God. And what he hears from the Father is, it is finished. You are acceptable. The wait's over. We're done. We just get to worship. We get to have victory. Everywhere we go, we bring the victory of the Lord with us if we're his. I think that's awesome. So this is Christmas, right? You get it now? This is Christmas. Oh, come on, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. The Savior has come. Joy to, I'm not going to sing it, joy to the world. The Savior has come. This is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. This is why we can wake up in the morning and go, oh, good morning, Lord. Because Christmas is here. It's all okay now. 
Just like when you're waiting for that phone call, and the band can come up, when you're waiting for that phone call to say, I got good news. And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We get that every day. Every single day, you get to wake up and go, oh, this is Christmas. You want Christmas in July? Have Christmas in July. You want Christmas in February? Have Christmas in February. Every day you get it. If you get it, you still got to choose to take it. He stands there with it. And he goes, listen, here's what I have for you, okay? I want to do a little exchange with you. Jesus says, I got an exchange program. I want you to give me all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your hurt, all of your pain, uh, your broken heart, your broken bones, your broken body, your crummy little paycheck. I, I want you to give me everything you've got. Because uh, crummy, because let's be honest, he owns it all. Like whatever we have for him, he's like, that's so sweet. <laughs> I want you to give me everything you have. All of the brokenness about you, and in return, I will give you new life. Amen. How do we not say yes to that, to that exchange? So I want us to pray, um, and then I want us to worship. Um, the prayer team can come forward. We're going to have people praying in the front, people praying in the back, and we're going to take a time to respond. And the response is simple. If you don't know Jesus then just receive everything he has for you. If you do know him, then ask him if he's got anything else for you. Because Ephesians tells us that all of the blessings are in heaven for us. We just have to ask for them. Now, just like Christmas, you're not going to get everything on your list. Okay, I bring a list to Jesus all the time, and he goes, that's a bad list. These things contradict each other. But we get to go to him and say, Jesus, what do you have for me? Because that's what I want. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can celebrate that this is Christmas. I pray that we take that with us everywhere we go, all the time. That we receive the good news, glad tidings with great joy. And then that we share it. Jesus, you gave us the gift to give it away. So help us bless so many others this Christmas with you. The greatest gift beyond imagination that we could ever receive. Jesus, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that you either soften their heart or open their eyes or whatever you've got to do, break down their walls, Jesus. Let them receive you. That this Christmas... They receive life. Lord, for those of us who know you, help us lay down everything else to you because you are Lord and you are the King and we love you. Amen.